The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. I'll leave it up to Wade and Alex to decide on whether a deferred immediate annuity is actually immediate or deferred. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. I'm here with Wade, and today we're discussing part due of our annuity series. That's right, right Wade? <laughs> I saw you chuckle at your, your French we- there. <laughs> And I know you've got at least one fan who uh, no, loves just, your jokes. They have them rolling on the floor laughing. Although I think. Yes, my son. My son. <laughs> All right. All right. Since this is a serious topic for serious people, you want to get going on the income annuities? Yeah. yeah. So, what are we doing we're, today? We're continuing this annuity arc. The previous episode, we defined key terms which are really important to making sense of this vast landscape that we're working our way through now. But this episode, we're, we're now getting into specifics in terms of this is the episode devoted to what's colloquially known as income annuities, what would more technically be known as immediate annuities. These include single premium immediate annuities and deferred, and this is where, what do I use for the I? The DIA, uh, colloquially a deferred income annuity, but technically a deferred immediate annuity. And we've talked a lot in the previous episode about what deferred and immediate means. It means two different things. Uh, Immediate in the context of do I annuitize the contract? And that's what we are talking about today, immediate annuities, because these are annuities where we do annuitize the underlying assets. And then immediate versus deferred about when do the payments start? And immediate payment would be you annuitize the contract, payments begin within the first 12 months of the contract signing. A deferred immediate annuity, you annuitize the contract today, but you're deferring the start of the payments. And, and those payments would begin at least 13 months in the future. And that there can be, that's where the, the QLAC, the Qualified Longevity Annuity Contract, as a deferred income annuity used inside of a qualified retirement account that gives you additional um, required minimum distribution benefits uh, specifically to to make them more appealing inside of retirement plans. And then deferred income annuities also can be called longevity insurance because you're kind of locking in an advance, but you're starting payments into the future, which gives leverages more of the uh, mortality benefits there too to give you a higher future payment because you're going to skip a bunch of payments in between today and whenever those payments do begin. Whether Now, it could be the most common way people use annuitized contracts would be they sort of prepay retirement. So they might buy a deferred income annuity in their late 50s to turn on, have the income begin in their mid-60s. But then also the other scenario is they might buy a deferred income annuity in their 60s and not have the income start until their 80s. In that scenario, you might call it longevity insurance, or if you do it inside of an IRA, 
and it meets the specifications, it could be the QLAC, the Qualified Longevity Annuity Contract. But it, it's both are types of deferred income annuities. Gotcha. Now, wait, uh, we, we did last episode, we had definitions. Maybe this one, we can start off with just some basic questions, answering some basic questions with regards to annuities. Like, you know, it's a softball sort of question to get, get us rolling would be, who is covered by mm -hmm. an annuity? Yes, so the annuity will have an owner, an annuitant, and the beneficiary, uh, if there is any sort of residual death benefit on it. The, uh, usually, the owner and the annuitant are the same person, and that <laughs> makes it easier to talk about. Uh, they don't have to be the same person, though. The owner is really the one initiating the contract and who will receive any payments provided through the contract. The annuitant is just who are, the, if, if it's a life contingent payment, if the payment is only received, if somebody's still alive, well, the annuitant is the person whose life is being used to generate uh, the uh, eligibility for payments. So that's it's easy if the owner and the annuitant is the same person. I buy an annuity for myself it will continue to provide me payments for my lifetime. I'm the owner and the annuitant. It's just technically they don't have to be the same person. And then the beneficiary would be if when the annuitant dies, if, if it's not a life only immediate annuity, if there's some sort of potential residual death benefit available, that would go to the beneficiary. And so if you are the owner okay. and the annuitant, you might pick someone else as your beneficiary. If you had a cash refund, we'll, we'll talk about all the, the ways there might be a residual death benefit. But Is it fair to say like a, a spouse, if you did this with a spouse, you just leave the other spouse as a beneficiary. But if you wanted to maybe provide this for a, a sister or something like that, maybe that's an annuitant instead. Like I'm, I'm just trying to give somebody a, a financial planning scenario when you would use an annuity, when the annuitant would be different than an owner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it could. No, that, that's a good answer. Yes, fine. But there, there can be joint annuities where it, the annuitant can be two different individuals. That's yeah, more that's the scenario true. for the couple. Um, in other scenarios, yeah, it's probably harder to find practical scenarios because. When you're talking about those kinds of scenarios, it's it may be more life insurance is what you'd be looking for. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and off the top of my head, okay. we're going to probably have uh, a few people who could say, "Hey, why didn't you say this?" But uh, I, I can't <laughs> off the top of my head that's think right. of a good case study on having the owner and annuitant be two completely separate individuals. <laughs> Are you telling me it's we're we're sixty something episodes <laughs> in, and finally, uh, there, there, finally, a, a question was asked. Uh, all right. Uh, and, and just as a quick sort of scenario, like when do the income payments start, right? There's mm -hmm. the immediate or deferred. We, we've, yeah. I think we've discussed that. Uh, and then uh, you kind of said it, but does an income annuity cover one yeah, or two you lives? You can have joint annuities. The, the, the most common scenario with, there would be two individuals who are in a relationship, whether they're married or, or just life partners. Uh, the annuitant could provide payments contingent upon uh, both of them being alive or just one of them being alive. And then at the death of the first individual in a joint relationship, then there's some sort of, is it a hundred percent survivor's benefit? It would continue the same amount. Maybe it's a 67% survivor's benefit. So once the first annuitant passes away, benefits could be reduced by some portion 
which would allow for a higher initial starting benefit. And those don't, they don't have to be spouses. It could be a, a grandparent and a grandchild. Now that would dramatically reduce the, the payment with a, a young person because <laughs> the younger you are, the longer you're projected to live and therefore the, the lower the payment would be. But yes, you, you can do that with a joint scenario where you have multiple annuitants on the contract. Now, you, you've you said a couple of these terms, and we've talked about, you know, the immediate and deferred in terms of timing, but what are the different flavors of payouts? Mm -hmm. So, there could just be simply period certain, which it's not linked to, the, they're really, in a period certain scenario, you don't really need an annuitant because no one has to remain alive for the uh, payments to be received. If you have a 10-year period certain annuity, it would provide payments for the next 10 years, not linked to anyone's mortality. But then everything else is linked to mortality. So life only, that will give you the highest payment because it's contingent entirely upon the survival of the annuitant. Once the annuitant passes away, those payments would stop and there's no residual death benefit. Uh, so it's you're offering the most mortality risk into the risk pool and therefore you're gonna get the highest payout from the risk pool. But not, those are rare because people are generally not comfortable. That's the hit by the bus scenario. That's what if I sign a life only annuity and then as I leave the office, I'm run over by a bus and I didn't get any payments out of the contract. Well, you wouldn't get anything with a life only. <laughs> so you're, you're contributing the most risk to the pool and in exchange, you're getting the, the highest payout from the pool. Everything else, there's some sort of residual death benefit to reduce that sort of exposure that we just talked about. So you could have life with period certain. could be life with 10 years certain. That just means the payments for life, but if, you did, if the annuitant didn't make it through the first 10 years, payments would continue so that at least 10 years of payments are made. You've got the life with cash refund. Oh, go ahead. Is it... No, I was just going to say, as, as you're saying these, I, I'd love for the, the consumer to start thinking, okay, the more the more wrinkles you put for your own protection, the less payout there is because the, the insurance company needs to kind of accommodate for that. And so just think in terms of the RISA, how we were talking about commitment orientation versus optionality. The life only is like at the very bottom of that commitment orientation where you're like, I get it. And I'm committed to this, and so be it. But as you want more and more optionality, that's kind of what Wade is introducing right now. You're going to get less payout simply because it's a risk transfer question at that point. Yeah, that's the theme that Wade is doing by by giving all of these permutations. Yeah, that's Moshe Maleski had a great line about that. Like if you're adding too many protections in because you're too worried about that quote unquote getting hit by the bus risk, eventually you're just going to have an expensive bond. <laughs> bond ladder because the, the payments aren't really contingent on life anymore if they're going to just continue whether you're alive or not. So that's where the academics really like the life only option because it's the way to leverage the most mortality uh, risk pooling from the annuity. But in practice, it's pretty rare to see people do that because they're just fundamentally not comfortable. So they'll have to look at a lower payout because they want some sort of refund provision if they don't live a long time. 
and the next one is a life with cash refund, which is generally going to be the most popular version. And the way that works is I receive the, a, a payment for life for the annuitant's lifetime. If the annuitant dies before the entire premium has been returned, there'll be a refund of the difference so that at least your initial premium would be fully refunded. So maybe just a simple example, if I put $100,000 into an immediate annuity with a, a cash refund, it pays $5,000 a year. I'd have to live 20 years, just to, these are made up numbers, but I'd have to live 20 years to get the entire premium paid back as income payments. If I made it 15 years, I've gotten 75,000 out of it. There's 25,000 I haven't received yet. That would be the cash refund. If I lived 25 years, I've now gotten more than my premium out and there's no cash refund at that point. The cash refund just simply returns the rest of the premium if you die or if the annuitant dies before the owner had received the full premium back as payments from the annuity. And it's a pretty popular option in real practice. Then you've got life with installment refunds, which is very similar to life with the cash refund. It's just the cash refund provides the whole refund immediately upon the death of the annuitant. The installment refund would continue to make sure the whole premium is returned, but over a period of time. And then, yeah. Okay. Now, the timing of the payments or the cadence of the payments, uh, you know, in, in terms of growth potential, are they fixed? Do they grow over time? Because a, a question you get all the time, and we, you know, we just came off of Social Security arc, and Social Security is the only one linked, you know, for, from an inflation standpoint. But this question comes up all the time for annuities. And, and what are the kind of payouts you know what, what are the payout mm -hmm. types so do we're really now talking about or not payout i'm using the wrong word yeah not, not payout i yeah. mean like are payments. they fixed or do they grow over time so you could have like fixed payments or level exactly. payments and maybe it's better to use level because fixed would then get us into we're using it in a different manner than <laughs> when we talk <laughs> about what a fixed annuity means but a level payment would just be it, it doesn't change you continue to receive the same payment amount it's not going to grow over time but because it doesn't grow over time, it will have a higher initial amount. You might also choose to have a, a cost of living adjustment. Could be 1%, could be 2%, could be 3%. It will start the payments slower, but then every year the payments will increase by a fixed, and here I'm using fixed in yet another context, but a, a set <laughs> predetermined cost of living adjustment, not linked to the actual inflation, but mechanically increasing the payments over time by whether it's 2% or 3%. Those would be the, the two most common options. And then they, these have existed in the past, but since January, 2020, there isn't any, uh, an actual income annuity that has an inflation indexed payment where the uh, payment would grow by the cost of uh, the CPI, consumer price index, much like social security does much like what treasury inflation protected securities do in the bond world, uh, you could have an income annuity that had payments linked to the consumer price index. It's just we're now in a period of time where there's no annuities on the market offering, uh, as, and a commercial annuities, social security does it, <laughs> no commercial annuities offering a CPI indexed payment. But th those are the three options. Is it a level payment? 
a payment with a fixed cost of living adjustment or a payment with a, a variable link to actually providing what the consumer price index does. Okay. So wait, you've, you've, we've talked about it in, in the last episode as well, a little bit in terms of these being spread products and the like. And we've introduced now concepts such as period certain, interest rates, you know, th- things along those lines about, and, and to get people thinking about, you know, there's a risk transfer going on, et cetera. I, I think this leads now to a better understanding of starting, start. this leads to the starting of a better understanding on pricing of an income annuity. Do you want to talk about kind of the, the three things that are, that, that begin to world, you know, under the underlying world, world with, with regards to the pricing of an mm-hmm. income annuity? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the pricing, it, it really re- relate to three factors. You've got mortality rates and that's why the uh, income annuity, the payout rates will vary by age and gender uh, because age, the, the younger you are, the lower the payment because those payments will be provided for longer. If you're younger, your, your remaining life expectancy is longer. And therefore, the insurance company would expect to have to make more payments. And so each payment would be less. And also gender. Uh, and this is where women live longer than men. And so in the commercial market, the payout rates on annuities for women are lower, not in this case due to any sort of inherent bias, but due to the fundamental actuarial nature of women live longer than men. And this is where in inside of uh, retirement plans, uh, like employer retirement plans, if there's an annuity option there, it's required to offer unisex pricing. So there can't be a difference between men and women. That can, on a relative basis, benefit women because they get to take advantage of the shorter life expectancies of men inside the retirement plan. But in the outside commercial market, you do have gender-based pricing. And women live longer than men, so therefore it's the same issue since the insurance company expects to have to make payments for longer, each payment would be less. But that the mortality is the key factor about, there's a whole, you, when you go to a website and you want to see pricing on an immediate annuity, they're going to ask you for your age and your gender because the pricing is specific to the answers to those questions. Then you've got interest rates. And that's not something in this immediate annuity world I'm annuitizing the contract. There's no contract value. I, I don't see an underlying contract value that's being credited with interest. But internally at the insurance company, they're thinking about the bonds they need to buy to provide the payments that they're promising to you. And those bonds have interest rates. And so if interest rates are higher, the insurance company is able to offer a, a higher payout on the income annuity because it knows it can pr- uh, purchase bonds that are going to yield more, uh, which reduces the, uh, the cost of providing any particular payments. So income annuity prices will fluctuate with interest rates. When interest rates are lower, the payout rates offered at that time will be lower. When interest rates increase, the, the payout right. rates offered at that time will increase. Mm-hmm. Are you a financial professional looking to learn more about the RISA and retirement income best practices? Well, if you are, you should join our Retirement Income Masterclass on Monday, August 28th, and Tuesday, August 29th. You can sign up at resaprofile.com advisors. That's resaprofile.com advisors. 
But what, what, how would you? But I don't want folks listening in thinking, oh, when interest rates are low, don't buy an annuity. Wait till they go up. Is that is that sound thinking, or is there relative faulty thinking in in, in that? Uh, well, timing. Uh- and I feel like I just had this conversation, although maybe it was on a different podcast. <laughs> it's hard to, I think I was talking with Bob about this. Did we do an episode on this? But generally, I guess <laughs> not going with this aside, uh, interest rates are incredibly hard to forecast. So trying to time your purchase based on, oh, I think interest rates are going to go up and therefore I'll wait to purchase the annuity. It's tough for that to work out. Plus you get the issue if you're sure that interest rates were going to go up, well, you're going to experience losses on your bonds when interest rates go up. So if you're holding money to purchase the annuity, you can't hold it in like long duration bonds or anything. You'd have to pretty much hold it in cash. And otherwise, the losses you experience when interest rates go up, though you get a higher payout rate on the annuity in the future, you would now be starting from a lower balance on your fund account, your funds to purchase the annuity, you're not necessarily going to be able to get yourself more income that way. So no, it's generally, think about the annuity in terms of when you want that those protected, the reliable income. Don't try to get into the game of timing the purchase based on your forecast for future inflation rates I was, or interest rates. I was also going, yeah, I was also going on a side note here where you know, on a relative basis, though, you know, insurance payouts can, you know, they're always a little more because of the mortality credits. So, you know, on a relative basis, even when interest rates are low, they're more attractive oh, yeah. than if you were to go, you know, the payouts are more attractive than if you were to go in the open market bond. You know what I mean? Right. That, that's on a I was, relative basis. I was going for that angle. Yeah, on a relative, that's the angle I yeah, was going Yeah, the mortality with. credit that the annuity provides is not linked directly to interest rates. So, when interest rates are lower on a relative base. So that if you're trying to fund your retirement with bonds, the cost of funding retirement through bonds grows faster as interest rates decrease than the cost of funding retirement through an income annuity because the mortality credit piece is just becoming relatively more important. And it's not like a one-to-one trade-off. If, if interest rates drop by 1%, the payout rate on the annuity is not dropping by 1%. It's more somewhere probably closer to a half a percent and it's just because those mortality credits play a more important role in a lower interest rate environment that's that's where i was going with that uh are there any other overhead yeah, and costs that, that's the third factor take, take so into consideration immediate annuities or income annuities they're fixed annuities and, and in the previous episode this idea came up that uh generally there's no external fee associated with a fixed annuity it's just they operate as a spread product. And that's just like with a bank checking account. You may have a no-fee checking account. It's not that the uh, bank is a, a charity. <laughs> <laughs> they're able to take your deposits and earn a higher rate of interest on them than what they're paying you. And maybe with most checking accounts still, <laughs> you may be paying 0.001% interest, whereas they're able to use those funds to generate you know, whatever, three, four, five, six percent interest. So it's a spread. They're not charging you a fee explicitly. It's just they're earning more on the investments they're making in their general account than they're paying through the uh, payment they're promising on the annuity. Now, income annuities, this is, 
when the consumer media speaks negatively of annuities, they often create a Frankenstein annuity that doesn't exist in the real world. So they'll say annuities are irreversible decisions and they're really expensive. Well, you don't usually see those two characteristics together. That we're talking about income annuities now. They are irreversible decisions, but they generally have quite low built-in fees. These, these overhead charges tend to be quite low in terms of just, yes, there is a charge, but it's not going to be all that much. And, and that's where we're talking about how annuities are priced. You, can, you have to reverse engineer what's the fair price of the annuity based on mortality statistics, based on where interest rates are. And then you just look at what's the difference between the fair price of the annuity and what the company is actually offering. And generally speaking, the, the difference is quite small. And even if you're, you really, if you further personalize that and you think about because the insurance company is able to build a higher yielding fixed income portfolio than I could as a household, and then on the mortality side, if I think I may have a better shot at a longer life than the average annuity purchaser, you might get into a scenario where there's really no overhead charge that you actually could benefit from. If you tried to do this on your, well, you can't annuit, you can't build your own annuity because you need many customers to pull the risk. But if you could technically somehow create your own annuity based on your own personal characteristics, you might not be able to do anything better than the insurance company net of these overhead charges that the that are part of the insurance company's um, pricing, because they have a, access to better fixed income opportunities than you. And because your personalized mortality may be uh, more optimistic than the overall risk pool. Now, now that being said, there's adverse selection. The uh, people who purchase annuities are generally people who get a sense that they're going to live longer than the average person. Uh, people who get a sense that they may not live so long are generally not going to want to purchase the income annuity. So already the, the annuity purchasers live longer than the average person. But even in that context, you, you, people have more insight about their own mortality than the actuary could guess based on a few data points they get about that person. And therefore, you have this opportunity to really think about, am I someone who could have much better potential at benefiting from being part of this risk pool? If that's the, if that's the case, the, uh, the average overhead charge to the average annuity purchaser could be somewhere in the ballpark of, say, 2 to 3%. But for me as an individual, I maybe not really even be facing any sort of overhead charge. I might even have the annuity might be worth more than what the, the pricing is to me as an individual with a particularly long projected life potential and with um, the inability to uh, use the same sort of fixed income assets that the insurance company has access to. Whether it's logging or all these other types of things too that have very long time horizons that households have a hard time benefiting from. All right. So, just a so pricing involves at least three factors: the mortality rates, the interest rates, normal overhead costs. Which you're saying you're an outlier. You'll get it for free because you're going to live forever. <laughs> yeah, then you're you'd really be an outlier. <laughs> uh -huh. So that's right. You'd obviously get great money's and, worth uh, if you were going to live forever. The... It's almost well, it's free, right? Free. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> exactly. You get money back. Uh, all right. And so 
you price that in with the other dynamics that you mentioned earlier when I was asking you the questions with regards to the payouts. Do you get a cash refund? Is it period certain? And, and you know, there are just is it a joint policy? Because then you're talking about now mutual mortality, you know, life life expectancies, not just not just one person. Or do you get colas or not? You know, do you get cost of living adjustments or not? Those also play into it, and you could just intuitively see why they would play into the pricing, mm-hmm. right? Wade? Yeah, yeah, and really, you can think of it as you're building a bond ladder. The the insurance, the annuity is providing payments. Now they're life contingent, and we'll re- return to that point in a moment. But if they weren't life contingent, you're just building a bond ladder, and based on the payments. So if you're younger, the payments you're going to get more payments. Uh, if the payments have a cost of living adjustment, the the payments are going to increase over time. If you're buying a deferred income annuity, you're paying for it today, but the payments, you're going to have some zeros, and then the payments will eventually start further off into the distant future. Now, you could build a bond ladder to provide those same payments, and then you're looking at, well, what's the discounted cost of those payments in terms of, I'm going to earn interest on my bonds. How much would I have to set aside today such that with the interest earned on that premium or that that amount, that lump sum of assets, it would then translate into the payments offered through the annuity. And that would be a bond ladder. But then what the insurance company is able to do is provide uh, risk pooling, which is they, as an individual, if I want payments to last for age 100, I have to set aside the full present value of that age 100 payment, even if there's only a 10% chance I live to 100. The insurance company, because they have many customers and their actuaries are working very hard on this point, they may assess that only 10, in this case, only 10% of the customers. If that's if you have a 10% chance of living to 100, 10% of the people purchasing this annuity with the same age and gender as you, they're only going to have to make payments to 10% of those individuals because only 10% of them are alive at that point. And so they get to set aside much less for those age 100 payments. And that's where if you're adding in cash refunds or if you're adding in period certain, it's impacting the, the probabilities for payments to be made at different ages, uh, increasing the payments made so that that's going to lower the, it's going to raise the cost of making those payments, which would then lower the, um, the payout on those payments. But what you get with the annuity is, well, what's the survival weighted present value of all the annuity payments being received? that would become the premium for those payments. And then when you look at, well, what's the payment divided by the premium, you get the payout rate. And that would be, this is how, well, it's how annuity pricing is, income annuities, they might say the dollars per month uh, from a particular premium, which you would then have to multiply by 12 to get the per year value. So that, and this, I'm, I'm saying that's obvious, but then the payout rate is, the yearly payout divided by the premium. And so it's not the monthly payment divided by the premium. A, you have to multiply, and it's not the monthly payment times 10. That's where you might, you got to do a little calculation here. It's the monthly payment times 12 divided by the premium to get the payout rate. Wait, uh, it, this is an interesting point, and this is where folks maybe, I don't want them to conflate the, the, the you know, a, on analogs on the other on the on the total return side. Can you speak a little bit about payout rate? Does it equal to is a payout rate a rate of return? Yes or no, or is it more like a sustainable withdrawal rate? It, you know what what 
what's your what's your stance on that? Mm-hmm. Well, I know what it is, but I'm sort of asking you to expand upon that payout rate and how should somebody interpret that mm-hmm. when they're looking for yes. Yeah, so analogs. the the payout rate would be the equivalent of like a a safe withdrawal rate concept. Now it's I mean it's most income annuities have level payments, whereas the four percent rule assumes inflation adjustments. So you have to make an adjustment for that detail. But because the annuity is, you're spending on principal as well as interest and mortality credits, uh, it would be equivalent to like a 4% rule that also has you spending down principal as well. The annuity payout rate is not a rate of return because you're not getting, it's not like, you can't say I buy a treasury bond that would yield 3%, say, and the annuity has a payout rate of 6%, therefore the annuity is doubling the return. That's not correct because the treasury bond would pay you the face value back at the end. And the annuity would, would not return, <laughs> would not refund your premium or, or pay back the full face value at the end. So they're not equivalent things. And annuity critics often point to this as this is how the insurance company is diluting the customer I've never seen anyone actually be confused by this detail. I've only seen, seen people saying that people are confused by this detail. But but it's right. The payout rate is not the same as a rate of return. Uh, it is simply a payment that will continue for life that includes the return of your principal, the return of your premium, alongside the interest and the mortality credits built into the contract that the actuarial, actuaries had figured out and therefore provided that particular payout rate. You can calculate a return on an annuity, again, this, but it's life contingent. It's the longer I live, the more payments I received, yeah. and then I calculate the internal rate of return on the premium today translated into the payments received. There's an implied rate of return on that. It's just not the payout rate. Let's take a moment to let the audience know that this show is sponsored by Retirement Researcher. You can learn more about Retirement Researcher at retirementresearcher.com and subscribe to our newsletter where you'll receive weekly actionable information for your retirement planning benefit. Retirement Researcher is an online community devoted to helping you create the retirement income plan geared towards your goals. But I I would even say this way, if you're going through the process of that, then you kind of miss the point of the previous podcast that we said at the beginning that this is an insurance product. It's not an investment product. It's one thing to just assess a payout rate because, you know, retirement, you know, income is the outcome kind of mm-hmm. kind of vibe. And we're talking about retirement income, retire with style, <laughs> retirement income style awareness. You know, we're, we're talking about how an annuity fits within all of that, but that's an insurance play, not an investment play. So I, I wouldn't even get into the whole investment returns. I, uh, to me, it's who, who cares? Because we're, we're, we're looking at it within a different just yeah, all yeah, altogether. If income protection, we're looking at it from an income mm-hmm. standpoint. If you're income protection, you have more focused on, you, have, you tend to have that distribution mindset. You're focused on predictable income over maximizing returns. And, and therefore, the insurance provided through the immediate annuity is providing that longevity protection. It's it's just yeah. Like uh, I don't want you to think about it as an investment, but it, it does have this interesting characteristic that it's the return really is linked to what you need. It's hedged to your longevity. That if you end up living a long time, 
you get a lot of payments through the annuity, you might end up having a return competitive with anything the stock market could do. When you do that calculation of, well, could my stock investments have generated the same set of payments as the annuity? At some point, if, as you're living into your 90s and beyond, it's increasingly difficult for any sort of stock investment to keep up with that. So you that's where, that's kind of not so much saying that the annuity is the investment, but that's where we go back to the starting point for the retirement income style awareness is these are all viable strategies. It's just what are you most comfortable with? Are you more comfortable relying on the risk premium from the stock market? Or are you more comfortable relying on risk pooling from the annuity? And using the risk pooling through the annuity is not necessarily sacrificing anything. It's just approaching it from the idea of predictable income. And if you're someone who's worried about outliving your money, you know you'll have these payments continuing no matter how long you live. And in the scenarios where you do live a long time, you might be getting a great quote unquote return out of the annuity that's very difficult for investments to keep up with. So you're not necessarily sacrificing anything when you use an income annuity. You're just approaching it through insurance rather than approaching it through a pure investment type of frame. You're approaching it through risk pooling rather than approaching it through the pure risk premium. And that's an important distinction. So, okay. And what's in what's involved in the in the payout part of it? Like payouts, you know, they what what you know what are the underlying return assumptions linked to the to the general account, if you will? What does a general account? Yeah. So the the insurance and general account. What what do they well, handle? When you buy an immediate annuity, you pay a premium. And the insurance company invests that in their general account, which we, we talked about briefly in the previous episode too. It's just, it's generally, we did. it may not be 100% bonds, but it's, <laughs> it's primarily a fixed income investment account. And each insurance company can approach it a little bit differently. There may be a few stock investments. There may be a lot of alternative investments, whether it is logging or real estate or, or different things. But it's generally a fixed income account that's focused on asset liability matching because they can use that risk pooling to know. They, for any one particular customer, they don't know exactly what payments need to be made. But for their entire set of customers, they have a sense of the obligations they've made. A lot of income annuity providers also sell life insurance. And so they can hedge this on both sides where uh, they, they have a sense of all the life insurance death benefits they're going to have to pay. They have a sense of all the annuity payments they're going to have to pay. They align them. They match them up. They have a pretty good sense of how much money they're going to be spending each year into the future. And therefore, they can develop an investment portfolio that's laddering to provide those payments. Wait, I, I got to say, I was no, no, thank you. I was listening to you when you were talking about the investment options. What in the heck made you think of logging? <laughs> that's like a thing. Or timber. Timber, right? The, uh, <laughs> oh. You have to grow. No, I know. Because then they have the like things. a fifty-year time horizon. No, it's, it's it's the sustainable. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the most like sustainable alternative assets because it it, it, and it produces may take itself. Fifty years you know? to pay off, but which the household doesn't have time to wait for. <laughs> I was just fascinated by you using like logging. It seemed to come out of nowhere from, from my perspective. No, no, no. It's one of the alternatives. It's it's seen as it's the only one. Gold doesn't produce other gold, whereas you know timber produces. Timber, if you will. Uh, all right. Uh, the deferred income annuities. Do you want to go into that? Well, a little bit? It, it's the same idea. It's just with deferred income annuities, 
you're not going to start the payments right away. So when you're doing this calculation of, okay, if I buy this at 65, it, if it, with an immediate annuity at age 66, I'll receive a payment that I would then discount for any interest I could earn in the meantime, discount for the probability of surviving to 66, which is going to be pretty high if I'm 65 already. Uh, the deferred yeah. income annuity doesn't have to set aside any money for that. That would be like the, if I'm going to get a $10,000 payment at 66, one year from now, I might have to set aside $9,800. I mean, I'm making a number up, but I have to set aside quite a bit of that payment today to fund the payment in one year. A deferred income annuity is not going to pay you anything in one year. So they don't have to set aside that big chunk of money. If, if I'm buying it at 65 and it's going to start at 85, well, by the time I get to 85, if I'm 65 today, there may only be around, that's generally still below life expectancies, but say a 55% chance of, of a 65-year-old living to 85, especially like for women, more than a 50% chance. So already, or I'm sorry, I was doing that wrong in my mind, but uh, <laughs> if I'm discounting like a bond yield for 20 years, maybe I only need to set aside 50% of the funds. There may even be a 70% chance that a 65-year-old woman lives to 85 and therefore, the, the, go ahead. The, the, the reason I'm bringing that up, Wade, is just to give people, the, the, especially the deferred, just to give people, at this point, they should start getting the intuitive sense that if you're taking on more risk, because you're, you know, you're, you're doing a deferred one, you're not, you're not getting an immediate the insurance company is able to pay you more because of that. They have more cash available that they can put in their other investments and then have more to pay you out later. That that's that's all. You know, that yeah. that's sort of quick math. But you do bring up a point that we could that we could sort of take, you know, end this podcast with, which is that game, right? Do I get an immediate annuity now or do I buy a deferred income annuity? And then at what age should I consider it? Because we get this question a lot. At what age do we purchase these like what's the the right age to purchase this you may want to you know talk about your thoughts around this a little bit uh-huh yeah and so there's two ways to think about it it's i i do come more from the side of if i want reliable income might as well and i and i'm retired i'm ready for it i might as well start it now that being said i i don't have any complaint against using deferred income annuities either uh, then when you get into the conversation around that, you, you just get into, well, is there an optimal age to buy the annuity? Uh, and a tool that was developed to look at that is Moshe Malevsky's implied longevity yield, where you can do these calculations where you're thinking about, should I buy the annuity today or in a, an immediate annuity? No, we're not talking about deferred income annuities now. So it's, should I buy an immediate annuity today or should I wait five years to buy the annuity? And then if I wait five years, I'll take the distribution from my portfolio for five years. And then I would need to have enough left to buy an annuity in five years with the same payments on an ongoing basis. Now that to do that calculation in any meaningful sense, you generally have to assume that interest rates don't change or that longevity doesn't change in any surprising manner so that you can, you can guess what the annuity price would be five years from now. But when you do those sorts of calculations, what you find is that as you get older, the, uh, the mortality credits don't increase, but they get compacted into a shorter period of time. It becomes harder and harder to 
beat the uh, mortality credits of the annuity. The, the return you would need to get on your investments to, to sustain that it's a good idea to wait another five years becomes harder and harder to overcome. It's, it's just the mortality credits are compacted into become increasingly important. And that's where with those types of calculations, you might hear this idea of once you get to around age 75, it's tough to beat the mortality credits of the annuity with an investment strategy. At younger ages, it can be easier to beat the uh, mortality credits because they're extended out over a longer period of time. Uh, but nonetheless, it still requires some risk. Remember, you're the one that's living. But remember, it, it, yeah, for the living, you know, you're living, so that's you're benefiting from the others that are passing right, away. Right, right, and it's just fewer people pass away at younger ages, which is kind of the the driver of this. And yeah, once you get to advanced ages. The other people entering that risk pool at that time, at that more advanced age, are going to be dying more quickly. And therefore, uh, you get more of a, a yield, more of a boost out of the annuity. The payout rate on the annuity starts to increase quite, quite rapidly as you're getting, say, into your mid-70s and beyond. And, and that's the idea there. So is it, fair to, is it fair to say that there's no ideal age? Because it's all priced in, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, it's all priced in right. actuarially. Right. There's no ideal age, and there's you're always you're getting the younger you purchase it, the more mortality credits you'll receive over your lifetime. It's just there's not a whole lot of mortality credits at younger ages, because there's not many people dying from the risk pool at younger ages. Yeah. So, so if you're looking at the payout, you know, if you're looking at a payout when you're 65, it's obviously lower. You know, the implied longevity yield is lower when you're 65 versus the implied longevity longevity yield when mm -hmm. you're 75, right. right? But the reality is if you factor in that you're likely you're more likely to die when you're 75 when you're 60 as opposed to 65 even though you can be looking at a higher yield, it doesn't really matter. You know, obviously you could be on the lucky end of the spectrum and survive, but you know, most likely, you know, it's right. It's it, it, it's it's a it's a probability based chance. And it's getting at is. the idea of the optionality. So this sort of conversation is more optionality yeah, oriented. Exactly. It's like once you buy the annuity, you've committed to it, <laughs> and if you're holding off on the decision to purchase it, you're maintaining your optionality for longer. So that sort of conversation on what's the optimal age to buy the annuity might resonate more with somebody who's weakly commitment-oriented rather than strongly commitment-oriented. There you go. Yeah. And, and so that's, yeah, that's the story well, that of income annuities. They're the <laughs> simplest of the annuity family. You annuitize the contract immediately. You'll get payments beginning either within a year or deferred beyond a year. You may have a, a a death benefit option in terms of a cash refund or period certain payments and so forth. But that that's really the general story of how income annuities work. It exchanges a premium for a set of payments, life contingent, usually it doesn't have to be life contingent, but usually life contingent on the survivorship of the annuitant in the contract. And when you're looking for these, you do want to pay attention to the insurance company credit ratings because you are making potentially a long-term relationship with an insurance company. And that that's the story of income annuities. I hope you learned something today, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> every day. Every, I'm a lifelong learner. A new learning adventure. <laughs> no, no, this, 
this is great. It was fantastic. I, I mean, I mean, it, I think it's, you know, it was a much needed arc that we're into and, uh, you know, upward and onward. Right. Thank you everyone for listening and we'll be back with more right, nudities. Yep. <laughs> more info Next on the nudities. Is, another, is that a good yeah, teaser week? Is that a good teaser week? <laughs> There we go. There we go. All right, everyone. Thank you very much. Wade and Alex are both principals of McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.